Thanks for returning this evening. And ladies, hope you had a wonderful Mother's Day today and that you were able to enjoy your afternoon. Tonight we're continuing Ecclesiastes. Hope you have a handout. If not, there are handouts available for you in the narthex, and we'd encourage you to pick one up. Tonight we are looking at Ecclesiastes 8, 15 through 9, 12. I've entitled this, What's the Difference? I'm referring to what's the difference between the life of a believer and a non-believer. We want to be talking about what are the proper expectations that we can have as a believer when we come to Christ, what we can expect life to be like. And so tonight the theme is gaining a proper perspective on life. We really are looking at a couple of different ideas this evening that are brought together uh, so that uh, we have enough material for, for the evening. The first thing that we're going to look at is learning to enjoy the simple pleasures in life. This will help to ease the difficult days that are coming. There are certain simple pleasures in life that are to be enjoyed. Ecclesiastes 8.15, and I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and to be joyful. Now we have already addressed this issue as Ecclesiastes often kind of serves as an onion that you're peeling layers back and often talking about the same things with a little different nuance. That's why most people, when they uh, teach the book of Ecclesiastes, do so topically in order to bring all these ideas together at one time and then go through different topics that are spoken of in the book of Ecclesiastes. But I decided to try it verse by verse uh, so that we see things within their their context, although even the idea of context in Ecclesiastes is different. It's not a narrative, and it isn't uh, even laid out in an argumentative fashion like the book of Romans would be, in which there is a progression of thought, but there are these tangential ideas that are thrown out there, but we want to see them in their tangential area. So we're back to this idea that there's nothing better than the sun but to eat, to drink, and to be joyful. Be these simple pleasures help to reduce the stress associated with the difficult days. Ecclesiastes 8.15, And I command you, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and to be joyful. And here's the reason. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. So this reveals to us a very important aspect of our expectation. And that is that there are going to be difficult days in life. That... Life isn't just a a bowl of cherries. Life doesn't always go smoothly. There are some that have this idea of the Christian life that there are no problems, there are no heartaches, there are no miseries, there are no trials, there are no difficulties. And you just have a smile on your face all the time. And, you know, walking with Jesus is a constant delight. Well, there are difficult times. There are difficult times. But there's also a perspective that needs to be held in view here. For it says that one of the things that is going to help you through these difficult days is learning to take pleasure in the simple things, such as eating and drinking and and being joyful. For this helps us to understand aspects of the toil and difficulty of life. And that is that oftentimes we get bent out of shape over little things. (laughs) Things that are inconsequential, things that don't matter but we let them get under our skin. We blow issues out of proportion. And people get all bent out of shape, they they get miserable, they're unhappy, because of some trivial issue that doesn't matter at all. And the smaller life is, the more trivial that becomes. The less experiences we have, the, the less that we're able to get out and be involved in the bigger issues in life. My aunts lived to, uh, two of them lived to ripe old ages, 99 and 97. And they were in a home, and my wife and I would go to uh, the coal region, uh, Park Summit, one Monday a, a month to spend time with them and take them out to eat. And they loved to go out to eat. 
and they wanted to go to Olive Garden. And they loved Olive Garden because they wanted the soup because it was salty. They didn't get salt in the home for health reasons. They didn't want their blood pressure to be elevated, et cetera, et cetera. And so they just delighted in eating their soup. That was what they looked forward to for weeks. They were going to be going out of the garden and eating their soup. And the rest of the time, they sat around and complained about the fact that they didn't have salt in their soup. Life can be really miserable if you focus on the trivial aspects of life that make it difficult and hard. Rather than focusing on the little things in life that make it enjoyable. So many times people are looking for the big thing in order to have joy. We've got to spend thousands of bucks. We've got to go halfway across the nation. We have to do this huge hoopla in order to be able to be having fun and to enjoy life. Well, if we can learn how miserable we can be from the inconsequential things in life, perhaps we can learn how happy we can be over the seemingly little insignificant aspects of life as well. It's a matter of where we focus our attention. It's a matter of how we are going to view our circumstances. Thirdly, and here's a, a very interesting one, enjoy the forgiveness that you have experienced from God. Ecclesiastes 7, 9, 7. Go eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already approved what you do. Now I jump to chapter nine, verse seven, because we're gonna take this broader view tonight and look at eight fifteen to nine twelve. And so here's this idea, again, of eating your bread with joy, drinking your wine with a merry heart. And the reason is for God has already approved what you do. We need to relish our approval and acceptance with God. One of the things that can make the Christian life quite miserable is having the wrong perspective on God's forgiveness and the relationship that we enjoy to God. In verse 7 it says God already approves what you do, that you are, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, acceptable in God's sight. Far too many are burdened and heavy laden by trying to gain God's approval, by denying themselves things, such as food and drink, in order to gain God's approval, in order for God to smile upon them. They think that they, they need to somehow give these things up, and this is going to bring joy to God's heart, and God's going to approve us, and, and then we're going to feel better about ourselves. Well, we find out in the New Testament that the kingdom of God does not consist in food and drink, that that's not what it's about. You already have God's approval. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. I believe we get that when it comes to eternal life, when it comes to being in the presence of God. We know that we're going to be there with great joy, and it's going to be a time of rejoicing, and we're going to be blessed of God, and it's going to be a time of complete delight. But we fail to see it in this life. We fail to see that we already have obtained that forgiveness. That Jesus Christ bore all the penalty of our sin. That we are made right with God. And that isn't talked about enough. And I believe one of the reasons is that people are afraid that that's going to lead to licentiousness. That that's going to lead to people, you know, just living then very decadent and evil and sinful lives. The book of Romans it says where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And then the question is raised, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. No, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about licentiousness. We're not talking about living a life of 
profligacy. But what we are saying is, you are as accepted with God today as you ever will be. You are righteous in his sight through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Enjoy your relationship to God. Don't be trying to earn his favor. You have his favor. It's like a a child that's trying to gain their father's approval. But the point here is you have his approval. You have his approval. God smiles down upon you. God delights in you. Learn to enjoy your relationship to God. Enjoy getting spruced up. Ecclesiastes 9.8. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. This is talking about normal experiences in life. And again, learning to enjoy the simple things. Enjoy the simple things. There's nothing wrong with taking pleasure in having a new dress, a new pair of pants, a new pair of shoes, feeling good about how you look, and trying to make a decent presentation of yourself. That's a part of enjoying life. And then this one, enjoy the blessings of a faithful marriage. Ecclesiastes 9.9, enjoy life with the wife whom you have all the days of your vain life (laughs) that he has given you under the sun. There is so much about life that is meaningless. And the only thing that brings real meaning to everyday life is spending it with the wife of your youth, with the person that you have married and continue to stay married to. Verse 9, the end. Because that is your portion in life and your toil in which you toil under the sun. That This is intended to be a part of your enjoyment in life. Our home is to be an oasis. It's a place to get away. It's just nice to be able to be with your partner and be able to talk about silly little things that don't matter at all in this world. But they bring us pleasure. They bring us joy. I'll go home tonight and watch the Phillies game. Lord willing. And if you saw the Phillies game last night, it won't bring much pleasure. They played hideously, lost three leads, and ended up losing the game in, I believe it was the 12th inning. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the Phillies and talking about that, and especially with the wife of your youth. What is striking is that comes from a person who's had 700 wives and 300 concubines. He's telling us, you want to be happy. It's not found in 700 wives and 300 concubines. Happiness is found in the wife of your youth, of persons that you have experienced the good and the bad with. You've gone through wonderful times and you've gone through difficult days and you've been there for each other. And you've provided mutual support and care and love and concern. And you've nursed each other through heartaches and miseries, illnesses, the things that we encounter in life. We're there for each other. That's a wonderful blessing of God, to find a life partner that you can spend these vain days of our lives. Polygamy was never God's intent for mankind. When God created man, he created them male and female. And as you well know, he created Adam and Eve. And he said to Adam and Eve that they were to multiply and fill the earth. If God wanted to have the earth multiply and be filled, he could have given Adam 700 wives. They could have had a lot more children than what they had. 
But God's intent was for there to be Adam and Eve, and they were to cleave unto each other. They were to be of one flesh. They were to be supportive, helpful to each other. She's referred to as a helpmate, which has incredible amount of implications for comfort and strength and facing the issues and difficulties of life. Just be thankful tonight as you go home for your spouse. For your spouse. Unfortunately, for many people, their marriage is a source of contention. It's a source of the toil. It's a source of the difficulty. Again, because of the way in which that marriage is viewed, the perspective that one has upon life and the expectations that we have of our spouses. We need to learn to be thankful, joyful, appreciative, grateful that God has given us a spouse and we still have them. They are still with us. Next, enjoy your hard work while you're able. Ecclesiastes 9.10. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in shoal to which you are going. There's an old hymn, work for the night is coming, when man's work is done. It's in this life that we are able to do things that matter. It's in this life that we're able to make a difference. It's in this life that we are able to serve God in a unique and precious way. So take pride in your work. Take joy in what you're able to do. Be thankful, not just for a paycheck, but the way in which we can serve God and others in the work that he's given us to do. Again, life. If we hate our jobs, if we're miserable and always complaining, about what we have to do, life can be hard, it can be difficult. But if you can enjoy your work, if, if you can take pleasure in giving a full day's labor of feeling good about the work ethic that you have demonstrated, life looks so, so different. Now there's a little bit of a, a change of thought, and it's extremely significant. And it picks up on a theme that we saw last, well, two weeks ago. B, uh, uh, two. Solomon spent day and night trying to figure out life's mysteries, especially as it relates to the righteous and the unrighteous. Ecclesiastes 8.16, when I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day or night do one's eyes see sleep. It said that it kept him awake at night trying to figure out life as it relates to the righteous and the unrighteous. Then he realized that the answers were not there, verse 17. Then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. It's impossible. He said, I, I spent day and night to try to figure these things out, but you can't figure them out. It's beyond human ability to figure out life's complexities. Verse 17, then I saw all the work of God that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. He will not find it out. You are not going to be able to explain life. Why things happen as they do. See, anyone claiming to have all the answers is just fooling themselves and others. Notice the bold in verse 17. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. There are so many people that claim to have all the answers to life. Well, if they think that, they're fooling themselves. And if you spend a whole lot of time following them, you're just fooling yourself. Application. 
The age-old questions are still age-old questions. There are, there are no answers to them, such as, why is there evil? Why is there evil? You know, I've probably read, I haven't really looked in my library to know for sure, but I would guess I've read 25 books addressing the question of why is there evil. And you can find some insightful things. You can find things that are interesting to think about. But you can't answer that question. Why did God allow Satan to fall? I don't know. I don't know. He did. He did. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know. Why do the evil prosper? Why do people do things that they shouldn't do and get ahead? I don't know. Now, we can articulate, we can wax eloquent, we can bring out some nuanced answers to some of these things, but in the bottom line is we just don't know, which is the basis of what Solomon now is going to tell us as he reports his findings. First, we do not know what it is that we're going to face in life. Ecclesiastes 9.1, but all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if it's going to be a good day or a bad day. We don't know if it's going to be filled with joy or, or it's going to be a challenge to be joyful and to give thanks in all things. We don't know. B, what we encounter in life is not under our control, but God's control. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Meaning, they're in God's hand, not our hand. They're not in our control. If you remember two weeks ago, we talked about the fact that man schemes in order to achieve a desired end. And that thinking that if you do A and B, then you're going to experience C. So all you have to do is learn the secrets of life. All you have to do is apply the godly principles. All you have to do is just these little things, and you can guarantee that tomorrow will be a good day. That's just not true. That's just not true. You don't know if you're going to be healthy. You don't know if you're going to be sick. And it's out of your control. It's out of your control. Now here's the mind-boggling truth. And that is, the righteous and the unrighteous encounter the same events in life. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 2. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked. The same event. Meaning, hardship, difficulties, joys, delights. The righteous and the unrighteous get cancer. The righteous and the unrighteous Their cellars flood. The righteous and the unrighteous, they have children. The righteous and the unrighteous get promotions. The same event happens to all. Now, consider the all-inclusive and emphatic manner in which Solomon expresses the thought that there is no difference between the righteous and the unrighteous in the course of life's events. He says this repeatedly, exhaustively. Notice the bold print in Ecclesiastes 9.2 as I work through it. First of all, Ecclesiastes 9.2, it is the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked. Now he says, to the good and to the evil. Notice the next one. To the clean 
and the unclean. To him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. You see, it said over and over again in a little different way. Contrasting the righteous and the unrighteous. Saying it doesn't make a difference. The all-inclusive nature of the statement is to drive home the truth of the statement that both the righteous and unrighteous encounter the same events in life. This speaks to the question, that age-old question that people have when difficulty comes in their life, why did this happen to me? Because there's this expectation out of there, out there that if you live your life a certain way, then you will be spared from these difficulties. And so when these difficulties come, people say, why did this happen to me? I go to church. I go to prayer meeting. I read my Bible every day. I do this. I do that. And there's this expectation, if I do all those things, I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be healthy. Life is going to be terrific. And then people are blown away. And disillusioned. Because they find out that life is hard. And they get sick. And they have problems. I can't tell you how important it is to understand that. For this flies in the face of what many people are taught about the Christian life. You need to understand that. It's popular to say... God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And then Jeremiah 29, 11 is quoted, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. It's said in a specific context. God does not promise us that we will not experience calamity. Your house could burn down. There's no guarantee. B, many Christians sound like Job's three friends. Remember Job's friends? They come and say, Job, you must have done something wrong for all these terrible things to happen to you. Job, there must be sin in your life. You must have done something secretly. Or you would never be encountering all these difficulties. You wouldn't have experienced your children dying. You wouldn't be so sick. There must be something wrong in your life. I can't tell you the number of people as I worked my way through Job and was teaching Job in Sunday school, people would come up to me and say, what's wrong with what the friends are saying? It sounds right. It's not right. It's not right. Hardship and difficulty comes to all. Look at the teaching of Jesus. Jesus teaches that both the good and the evil receive God's benefits. Matthew 5, 43 and following. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. Here he's talking about how good comes to all. Whether you are righteous or unrighteous, both experience the blessing of the sun. Both experience the rain that comes on the field. You can't drive down a nice country road and look over the fields and ascertain who's a Christian and who's not a Christian by the crops. As you drive along the road, beautiful day, and you look out and the corn is only a foot high and two farms down the road, it's nine feet high 
you say, ah, he's a non-Christian over there. And obviously, he's a Christian that's walking with God. He's got nine-foot corn, and he's got a foot corn. No. No. It doesn't just rain on one side of the street and no rain on another side of the street. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Five, Jesus teaches that both the good and evil encounter the storms of life. Matthew 7, 24 to 25 and following. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And notice these words. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat upon that house. Those are trials. Those are storms. Those are difficulties. Verse 26. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be likened to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, and beat against the house. Now notice in verse 25, in verse 27, it's in bold, there's no difference. It's exactly the same. It's the same experience for the righteous and the unrighteous. That's what Ecclesiastes is speaking of. Six, the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous is not whether they experience the storms of life, but rather how the storms of life are weathered. Pun intended. How we survive, how we go through life's experiences. For notice verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock, the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded upon the rock. That house stands. That house weathers the storm. That house hangs in there. That marriage continues. That joy and thankfulness continues because it's the response This comes from an understanding of the word of God and faithfulness to Jesus Christ that gives the person the ability to stand in difficult times. Contrasting with, under 6, starting at verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon the house, and the result was it fell. And great was the fall of it. The outcome is what is different. The standing or the falling. The rejoicing or the griping. The contentedness or the displeasure. The thinking that I've got to have 700 wives and 300 concubines or being satisfied with the wife of my youth. It's saying... I've got to travel around the world in order to be happy or to be able to sit down at a table and be grateful for the food that's set before you. That's going to make the difference in life. Of whether we're a thankful people or a begrudging, miserable people, it isn't the circumstances. It's the response to them. For the same event happens to all. D. Life often turns out in an unexpected manner. Verse 11. Again, I saw under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. That's not denying God's control, which this passage started with. It is simply the acknowledgement that it seems like there's no right or reason. 
The swift don't always run the race. The wise don't always, excuse me, the strong don't always win the battle. The wise don't always have bread. And the intelligent aren't always rich. That's just not how life works. But we're sold a bill of goods. We're taught that that's how life works. And so when it doesn't happen, my, are we disillusioned. And we begin to question God's faithfulness and God's goodness and God's sovereignty. And God's acceptance of us. That's why earlier it said, be joyful for God has approved of you. Don't fall into the trap of when life goes hard that you say, where is God? What have I done? Why doesn't he love me? Why doesn't he care for me? What do I need to do? to bring God into favor in my life. Don't go there. Now, yes, if we know that we're living in wanton sin and God is disciplining us, that's a whole other story, but that's not the complete answer. You can be walking with God and it can be hard. You can do everything that is right. And life can be difficult. Number four. Man's perspective is that it is wrong that the evil and the just experience the same events in life. That just isn't right. That's not fair. That's that's not the way life ought to be. Solomon addresses that issue. Verse 3, this is an evil in all that is done under the sun that the same event happens to all. That's not right. That's wrong. Is the thought that comes. Again, why it's saying under the sun. Number 5. The fact that the righteous and the unrighteous experience the same events emboldens the unrighteous to live wickedly. Last time we saw that because justice is delayed, it's not a deterrent for evil. Now we learn that because the same event happens to all, that that leads the unrighteous to wickedness. Verse 3, this is an evil. And all that is done under the sun, that the same happens to all. The hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. Psalm 73 is a, a tremendous psalm. It's one that ought to be read during difficult times. The psalmist says, I was envious of the right, I was envious of the wicked. For there was no pangs in their death. There were no difficulties in their life. The psalmist says, I was almost taken away until I went into the house of God, until I understood. Number four, while we live, while we are alive, there is still hope that we can make a difference. Verse four, but he is joined with the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. You can still make changes. You, you can still live a godly life. You can still do what is right. Like what is right. So here's gaining the right perspective. Here's what we need to keep in mind more and more. And that is life is to be lived with death in view. Now is the time for decision making, verse 5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. We need to make decisions 
with our death in view. And that doesn't mean just making a will or having a cemetery plot. But as the Word of God says, teach us to number our days we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Life is short. Life is short. Ecclesiastes 12 is going to say, Enjoy the days of your youth while the evil days come not, nor the years draw near when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Be thankful for today. Be thankful for the health you have now. Be thankful for your spouse. Be thankful for your children. Be thankful for your job. Be thankful for what God has given you. Now is the time to make a difference in life. Their love and their hate, their envy have already perished and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. Give yourself to meaningful labor. Give yourself to a job that you enjoy and will make a difference in life. Young people, don't decide on a life career simply based on how much money you're going to make. Don't let that be the governing principle of your life. You can't serve God in money. Think about whether you are going to do a, a job that you enjoy. Think about whether it's going to be meaningful. Think about whether you're going to be impacting other people. Think about whether or not you're going to be able to take delight in what you do. That You can look in the mirror and be proud of what you're doing. That's a big part of life's joy and contentment and happiness. And why so many people are miserable. Because they're trying to find joy in just a raise. If only I could make a little more money, I'd be happy in this job that is causing me nothing but misery. See, no one knows how long they have to live. The Yassis 9.12, for man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of men are snared in an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. We have no control over how long we live, as much as we want to think that we do. So we need to always keep in mind, life is short. Now is the time to live for God's glory, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. The end of the matter, all has been heard. I've jumped to the conclusion for it's significant, and we'll come back to it now, time and time again. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's what life's all about. Fear God and keep his commandments. Now is not the time for judgment, whether for good or evil. That judgment is yet future. Verse 14, I'm jumping ahead because it's so important for us to understand tonight as we work through this whole idea of the righteous and the unrighteous, the same event happens to them all. Ecclesiastes 12, 14, For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Good or evil. There's going to be a day of recompense. There's going to be a day of reward. There's going to be a day of recognition for those who have lived godly and ungodly lives. But that time is not now. That time isn't tomorrow unless the Lord returns. There will be a day in which there's a distinction. God is not blind to faithfulness and unfaithfulness. But God is gracious in this intervening time before he brings his judgment. Jesus was sent into the world, the scripture says, not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. 
And I have often tried to emphasize in Christmas messages that Jesus came into this world not to make mankind's life miserable. He didn't come into this world to make the sinner pay. Jesus did not bring about the death of one single individual. He raised people from the dead, but he did not strike any down. And when his disciples said, should we call down fire from heaven? Jesus said, you don't understand the spirit that you're about. Now is not the time for the wicked to be punished. God is long-suffering. God is giving people opportunities to repent. They're basking in the sun. They're lapping up the rain of the just and the unjust. Because God is gracious, God is good, God is loving, God is kind. But there is a day coming. There will be a recompense. You will falter if you don't keep that day in view. You will say, what's the use? What's the point? Life has no meaning. The meaning to life is found in the presence of God. It's to enter into his presence with well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And it's the banishment to an eternal hell. A place of wickedness, of constant misery and heartache. It's awful. It's awful. There will be a difference. But it's not in this life. It's not in this life. And it's important to keep that in mind. So that you aren't discouraged. So you don't wrestle with the age-old questions. So you don't say to yourself, why did this happen to me? Because the same event happens to all. The rains descend, the floods come, the winds blow. Will your house stand? Will it stand? That's the difference. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your grace and goodness. A grace that is experienced not just by believers, but unbelievers as well. That, Lord, you are providing for them. Even though they don't acknowledge it, even though they don't pray for it, even though they don't praise you for it, even though they may never say grace before a meal or give thanks, they're eating, they're drinking, They're enjoying what we enjoy. And though we give thanks and though we do pray and though we do rejoice in what you provide us, we know heartache. We know the death of children. We experience stillborns. We get the doctor's report report of cancer and strokes and all kinds of misery. Sometimes the house burns along with the flood that's coming. But Lord, give us an eternal perspective. May we understand the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian is not that we're wrapped in cellophane in this life. There are so many people that are taught that. There are so many that that 
teach that if you just turn your life over to Christ, there will be no more pain and sorrow and difficulty for you. And people are just thrown for a loop when difficulties come. They're taught as long as you have enough faith, none of these things will happen to you. But that's not the experience of Job. That's not the experience of the Apostle Paul. And it certainly wasn't the experience of Christ. And it's not our experience also. So, Lord, may our house stand. Give us joy tonight in the simple things. Give us a delight and appreciation for what you do. We have honored mothers today. In that honoring of our mothers, may we see it in an entirely different light tonight. May we be thankful for how they made our lives sweeter. How many of us have been blessed by faithful mothers who cared for us, who sacrificed for us, who experienced difficulty for us. May we not complain, but may we look back on our childhoods and acknowledge your goodness and your grace to us. May we purpose to make this a better world as long as we are in it. May we desire to help other people through their storms and through their tragedies and their difficulties. May we be instruments of your grace to help them to stand, to weather the storm, to be able to look forward to the day in which we are in your presence. And may we long for it more and more. Those great verses that teach us there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more tears, no more crying. May that be real to us. For there's crying now. There's tears now. There's death now. There's unpleasantness now. But we thank you that there's a day coming. Help us to see it. Help us to live in expectation of it. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.